Amen. Let us turn to Lord's Day 35, page 243, in the forms and prayers. As we continue through the portion of the Catechism on the Ten Commandments, and we know even from uh, some of the oldest sermons that we have of the New Testament church that there is a there's a long pattern of of churches working through the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed. And we'll look at Lord's Day thirty five, question answers ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight. And I'll read the questions, let's together say the answers. What is God's will for us in the second commandment? That we in no way make any image of God nor worship him in any other way than has been commanded in God's word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images in order to worship them or serve God through them. But may not images as books for the unlearned be permitted in churches? No, we should not try to be wiser than God. He wants the Christian community instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. It's the confession we hold in common. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40, the very word of God. And that is on page 762. In the Bibles under the seats, Isaiah chapter 40. And we will look especially at verses 15 to 25. We'll begin our reading at verse 12 and read to verse 31. Isaiah chapter 40, we begin our reading at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, 
nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and the goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, he who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So far the reading of the Holy Word of God. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is deconstruction? Well, according to Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary, deconstruction is the analytical examination of something, such as a theory, often in order to reveal its inadequacy. And there's something especially popular to deconstruct today and that is the deconstruction of faith. It's very popular for somebody who was once in the church, who has left the church, to share their story, to share their reasoning and the way that they have come to their place. And then there are many places to share these deconstruction accounts and have comments on them and such. There's a sad story of two relatively well-known persons, you might call them minor celebrities, and they have both abandoned the church, Joshua Harris, Shannon Harris. Now they are uh, divorced 
and they both have their own different deconstruction stories which have been widely shared. Part of Shannon's deconstruction account, which is recorded in a book, and then there's also many interviews that she's done as part of this, and she speaks often about her need to be healed from Calvinist theology, which would tell her that she is a sinner who cannot obey God. And so she says that she and everyone else should try to connect, quote, to our own wisdom, to nature and our bodies, to our own fulfillment and work and pleasure, and to our own ways of being and doing. End of quote. And this, brothers and sisters, is uh, it is a snapshot of a very common way of thinking in our world today. It's celebrated. It's something which, if we think about you know, giving weight to the opinion of a person, this is the kind of opinion, this is the kind of deconstruction account which the world looks at and gives all kinds of weight to. Look, here's somebody who was in the church and, and, they, and they see that, that you can't just be told you're a sinner. That's, that's just a terrible thing to hear. And so you need to give weight to this deconstruction story, this deconversion story. Well, Isaiah 40 speaks about the weight of the opinion of man and about the meaning of the materials crafted by mankind. And before God, there is nothing. There is no comparison. And that's our theme tonight. There is nothing which compares to God. There is no part of the created order, including any reasoning of God's created beings, which can compare or stand against our Creator gone. And so first, the nations are nothing. And second, crafted idols are nothing. And third, God is overall. But brothers and sisters, I, I do want us to keep in mind, even as we'll see this especially at the end of our second point and into our third point, I want us to keep in mind that all of this is part of the chapter that begins... With these words, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Because as we will, as we will see, especially after our first point, to see who man is in comparison to God is comforting because of who God is. Well, first, uh, brothers and sisters, verses 15 to 17, the nations are nothing. What is the weight of an entire nation compared with God? It is nothing. It is so little it cannot be measured. And so the first picture there in verse 15 is it's like a drop from a bucket. And so, and so picture yourself with two different five-gallon buckets, one in each hand. And you know, say one bucket is, is half full or all the way full. Well, then you'd, you'd be able to tell the difference. 
uh, one is so much heavier than the other. It's hard to hold in, in one hand, perhaps. But now I'll say that you're blindfolded and you're given two five-gallon buckets and one of them has a single drop in it and the other one does not have a single drop in it. You cannot tell the difference. It's a drop in the bucket. Nobody would honestly hold those two buckets and sit there and say, the one in my left hand is the one with one drop in it. It is nothing. It carries no weight. The opinion of nations, the laws of nations, the armies of nations, they are nothing. It does not matter if the law of the land says this is acceptable. If that goes against the will of God, it is nothing. God's word stands. God's will remains. And then that picture of the weight of comparison is, is exactly where the, the parallel illustration, the parallel picture, as verse 15 uh, continues, goes. The next picture then is, is the scales. And so in the ancient world, uh, right, you, you, didn't, you didn't have like, like a digital um, uh, 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 a digital weight. Everybody's going to tell me after the sermon the word that I just forgot. You, you don't have uh, you don't have anything like that. You, you how do you measure things? You have a scale, and there's and there's there's two there's two sides of the scale, and those would be quite sensitive scales. If you put a small measurement on one side, then it then it tips the balance of the scales. Well, what, is, what, about, what about a speck of dust? How, how finely do those scales measure? Would a speck of dust ever make uh, those scales tip? No, it would not. They are not sensitive enough to measure a speck of dust. That makes no difference. And God says, when we look at the nations and we take the scales and the accounting of the scales, the nations are a speck of dust. They do not make a difference. And so when we think about the plan of God, when we think about the purpose of God, God does not look and say, oh, well, that nation is so powerful, I'm going to have to adjust my plan, or that nation is so smart, I'm going to have to change my will. God says, the nations are nothing. They carry no weight before me. This is this is this is hard for us to grasp. Right? When when we hear of new laws in our land, when we see the, the power of, of a nation's military. And it, it, it feels heavy to us. It, 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 it weighs down. We, we watch the news and it, and, it, and it weighs down. God says, it is nothing. My plan will not be thwarted. 
My purpose will not be adjusted. My law is unchanged. The nations are nothing. And brothers and sisters, uh, with respect to worship, which is the focus of the second commandment, it does not matter how a nation thinks that people should worship or, or what a nation might bring for the purpose of worship. And that's, that's how Isaiah continues into verse 16. It steps into the realm of worship and it brings this question. What if Lebanon, which has all these majestic cedars, great in quantity and great in quality, what if Lebanon gave all of its cedars for the fuel of sacrifice? And what if Lebanon, which is this very mountainous region, which is full of, of wildlife and, and what we might call um, big wildlife, big game kind of things, well, what if, what if all of the beasts of Lebanon were the, the animal part of that sacrifice? What would it mean before God? It's nothing. It doesn't matter what the nations bring or what the nations say should be worship. God tells us what worship is. God's word tells us what worship is. Looking at the second part of question answer 96, we are to worship God in not in any other way than has been commanded in God's word. And so if we move down just a little bit from nations to, well, let's, let's take universities because Many of the universities, which were many of them first established by Christians, now have explicitly anti-Christian purposes in our nation. And so now, moving down from nations to universities, what do we say when, when, when universities, that group of human people, pours all kinds of resources and all kinds of energy and, and, and appears to have all kinds of momentum and power going into certain opinions and certain declarations? So let's just take... One example within that. How about the billions of dollars and the thousands and thousands of hours of, of the many, many tens of thousands of hours of, of, of man put into something like the, the theory of evolution, teaching that life can come from non-life. Does, does that carry any weight? Does it mean anything? No, it stands against God. And however, however heavy that opinion might feel with so many voices declaring it, it is the voice of nothing. God is the creator. God is the one who made life. God is the one who made your life. And then, brothers and sisters, we narrow down again. Because if this is what nations are, and what any group of people is, then what is an individual? Who am I? And then we ask the question, what are my opinions? Do I have any opinions that stand against the word of God? And what lines of thinking am I tempted towards which go against the will of God? And should I give any weight to that line of thinking? Should I go down that path? Should I listen to my own will, my own understanding? Because it's tempting to give our own will all kinds of weight. It's ourself. Any 
line of thinking that we take which goes against the Word of God is nothing. And we must see it as such. We cannot go against God and His Word. However we would do this, we must repent of leaning upon our own understanding and lean upon the wisdom of God. We must not depend upon ourselves and our own way of thinking. We must lean upon God. To take the first line of question answer 98, which applies not only to carved idols, but to any carved thought of man which would go against God, we should not try to be wiser than God. But let's come now to crafted and carved idols. Let's come to our second point. Crafted idols are nothing. We know that atheism to deny any kind of divine power is is foolish. Psalm 14 begins with the words, the fool says in his heart there is no God. And we know from Isaiah 40 and other texts that idol worship is also foolish. The line of thinking in verses 18 to 20 is this, well, if we cannot trust in nations, well, what if we trust in idols? That's the question of verse 18. And Isaiah answers that by reminding everyone what an idol is. It is just material. It's just gold or silver, verse 19, or wood, verse 20. And man has to go out and collect that material. You're, so look at verse 20 where it's, where it's, where it's developed with, uh, with, with a few more words. You're, you're, going to, you're going to go out and collect some kind of wood and then bring that to a craftsman and then watch a craftsman shape it and then stand it up in just the right way because if you don't stand it up the right way, it's going to fall over because it's just a carved piece of wood and you're going to worship that? That's, that's how Isaiah describes idolatry. But then, brothers and sisters, there's something very helpful for us in the way that Isaiah speaks about the worship of idols in Verses 18, 19, and 20. Because Isaiah focuses on the materials. And you do not need to bow down to something crafted by man to worship it. If you are consumed by anything, you are worshiping that. And so this focus on the materials, well, it helps us to take that line of application to our world today, where we can talk about things like materialism, which is even that widely recognized word, even by unbelievers, about being consumed by things, by being consumed by materials that people have crafted together. It doesn't matter if it's gold or silver or wood or all of the materials that go into making a a television or a, or a big pickup truck or whatever it is. 
we cannot have a worshipful attitude toward material things. The sad truth being that man so often is consumed with the materials that his own hands craft together. But we cannot worship the images made by man. Even if that image is supposed to be a picture of God, we should not use this for worship. A human artist can never capture who God is. God is spirit. We do not know what God looks like. And as the Catechism summarizes it in question answer 98, God wants the Christian community instructed by the living preaching of his word. Please turn, brothers and sisters, to Romans uh, chapter 10. And then if you like, put a little bookmark in, in Romans, we'll, we'll read this verse from Romans 10 and we'll come back to one other verse and then, and then we'll, we'll go to Romans 8 um, later. Romans 10, and I'm going to read verse 14. Romans 10, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? There are many powerful word images in the Word of God, including the powerful word images in Isaiah chapter 40. But an image communicated through words is not the same as an image itself. And as we think about God and as we think about the gospel, you know the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, one pastor helpfully said it, yes, and and a picture also has a thousand interpretations. And when we come to the gospel, we cannot have a picture. We, we cannot have something which is open to a thousand interpretations, just as First Timothy makes it, First and Second Timothy make it so clear that we can't have any declaration of any other way. No, there must be, there must be one declaration about the one Savior, Jesus Christ, and His name proclaimed. And so now again, in Romans chapter 10, back one verse to Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then back again to verse 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There is one message of salvation. It is not a picture. It is the declared Word. It is His name. It is His work that saves us from our sins. And He is the perfect 
wisdom of God. As the Apostle says in another place. So this is what we hear. This is what is at the heart of our worship. And as we'll see, this is what is at the heart of our comfort. That takes us into, brothers and sisters, our third point. God is over all. And uh, we see that in verses 21 to 25. Really, we see that in various ways all throughout Isaiah chapter 40. Really, all the verses uh, leading up to verse 15 and, and even the verses after this are, are, about, are about God being over all. The opinions, the, the might of nations are nothing. The most skillfully crafted materials of mankind are nothing. God is the creator. God is the one who has made us all and all the materials. And God is over all. It is he, verse 22, who sits over the circle of the earth. And that's a picture that, that emphasizes God's kingship, his ruling authority. He sits above all of us. And even the crown of God's creation, even the people, we are made in His image. We are the inhabitants of this world. We're not just the materials, but even the inhabitants are what? They're like grasshoppers. And then, Another picture of God's authority. He stretches out the end of verse 22, the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. There is that uh, picture from Psalm 102, which we sang at the beginning of our service, that uh, God's um, authority and, and creative power over the stars, it's just like putting on and taking off a garment. God, God sets up the stars and takes down the stars like you put on a coat or take off a coat. Here the, uh, the image is uh, it's a little bit harder for us to know exactly what it is. Is it, is it like throwing the, the, the final covering over the tent, something like that? But whatever the picture is exactly, it's, it's that tent-related picture and it's something which is very easy to do. And so for, our, for all of our children here, you, you can think of it this way. It's like you take a pillow in your living room and you put the pillow on the middle of the floor, and then you go and you get a, a, a blanket, and you throw the blanket over the pillow. That's what it is for God to make all the universe. All the universe, which all of man's modern scientific advancement, and uh, we're still just scratching the surface. We're still... All we do is, is grow in saying the universe is vaster and, and bigger than we knew. And what is it for God? It's just, it's just like throwing a blanket over an object. It's just like throwing a blanket over a pillow. So maybe, boys and girls, you can even do that later this week. Um, you can take a pillow, put it in the middle of the floor, and throw a blanket over it and say, this is, this is how God made the whole universe. No wonder the Creator can look at the inhabitants of the earth and say they are like grasshoppers. No wonder God can look at the nations and say they are nothing. 
God is powerful overall. Even the prince or even the princes, even the rulers, their their emptiness. One more picture from our text in verse 24. They're they're like a weak little plant that's easily carried up in the tempest, in the storm. They're just carried off like stubble. And in verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Now, brothers and sisters, I want us to step back and think about Isaiah 40 as a whole. And remember that it begins with the words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. How is it how is it comforting to know that whole nations have no power? How is it comforting to know that we cannot, must not give any weight to our own opinions? How is that comforting? It is comforting because God is holy. Because God saves us from our sins and calls us to lean upon Him. You know, all of this pictures of, of, of nothingness, it, it's not saying that man has zero value. It's not saying that you have no value. You are made in the image of God. And you are so valuable that God who is holy and so far above us came down from heaven to this earth in order to suffer for your salvation. You are so valuable in Him. As you repent of your sins, as you repent of leaning upon your own understanding, as you trust in Jesus Christ, and then go forth seeking to live in His wisdom, leaning upon His will and His word, whatever the whole nation around us says, And it's true for everyone. And that the offer of salvation is for everyone. Oh, that they would hear. Oh, that we all would call upon the name of the Lord. And then the, the weight of God's glory is what we live for. And we see that's what we were made to live for. We are restored by the Holy Spirit in knowledge and righteousness and holiness and, and, and we see the beauty of living for the glory of God. Again, whatever the nations are saying, whatever the nations are doing, whatever they are doing to us, whatever they are saying to us, we say, I will live for His glory. And He is over me. He is over all. And that's what I was made to do. And so I don't want to give weight to my opinions anymore. Although we're going to struggle against that as long as we're on this earth. 
because I want His will to be upon me and to lead me and to guide me and to be the light for my path and to lead me to His eternal restoration. And now again, think about salvation, trusting in Jesus Christ. And we take all of these images and we apply it, and we apply it to that. Your salvation cannot be broken. When you trust in Jesus Christ, it is not like trusting in some wooden object crafted by man that has to be set up in just such a way so that it doesn't topple over. When you trust in Jesus Christ, your salvation cannot be broken because you're trusting in the One who is man and and therefore able to stand in your place, but He is also God. What He has accomplished cannot be broken. You trust in Him. All your sins are forgiven. You are secure. Nothing can break what God has done. Surely, as the psalmist says in Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Surely, as the Apostle says in Romans 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then to read the verses from Romans chapter 8 that come just after those words, we continue from verse 32 and we see He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Romans 8 verse 34 Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And like so many of the questions asked by the prophet Isaiah, we know the answer as soon as the question is asked. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven.